church has done a very good job at teaching God's word in a clear and a convicting way. We, we want to improve, however, the, the close-knit fellowship and the discipleship of our church. We want everyone, and, and that's really what I'm going to talk about today, we want everyone to feel like they belong. We want everyone to feel like they're connected. That's our heart and that's our desire. And so with that, we're going to be speaking over the next four Sundays about I'm in. And the in part is I in. For example, today I'm going to talk about I'm invited. And uh, can you say I'm invited? Say that with me. I'm invited into God's family. Then next Sunday we're going to talk about I'm invaluable. Someone say invaluable. You are a part of the body of Christ. And so you are invaluable to the work of God. You have a gift. Everyone has a gift. And that gift is important and, and, it, and it matters to the, the kingdom of God. And, and so we want you to, to use that gift. Next, the following Sunday, we're going to talk about I'm influential. And it's about the fact that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light in this world. And so you have influence and impact in the, the world around you. And then the last Sunday, we're going to talk about I'm invested. I'm invested in the work of God. Today, I want to take one of the, talk about one of the core themes of the gospel, the fact that you are invited to the family of God. Now, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, I actually brought an invitation with me. And, you know, when you get an invitation in the mail, you know, it makes you feel good. That you've been invited to a special event or to a special moment in someone's life. And, and so you feel good, and then you feel really good when you go. You might even bring the invitation with you because it gives you confidence that you're wanted there. You will be welcomed there. You are expected there. So an invitation has that power to make us feel that way. And, and God gives an invitation. Part of the gospel is an invitation. And, and so, you know, on the other hand, if you've ever been like uh, scrolling through Instagram and you see a bunch of your friends and they're at an event, you know, when you're not invited, it's not a good feeling, right? And you see everyone's there and they're at a cookout and, and, and you didn't even know about it. You weren't told. You weren't invited. That is not a very good feeling at all. You know, I remember um, years ago, I, I, I was aware of a church and I saw the church and and in there, it had been this kind of very legalistic church where, you know, people didn't feel welcomed all of the time. As a matter of fact, it was to the extreme that on the front of this church was a sign right by the door that said women were not allowed to come into the services if they had pants on. That was on a sign on the front of the church. Now, now you might not be surprised to know it was not a very big church, right? Uh, it wasn't a welcoming place. That's not a good feeling, and that's not the heart of the gospel or God. You know, I, a number of years ago, I was uh, preaching some messages, and was talking about the idea that we don't have to be so worried about what we wear to church and how much we have to dress up and all of those kinds of things. You know, I was kind of uh, sharing that whole thought with, with all of us, and one of the ladies, one of the dear old ladies of our church, and I'll never forget this because it really spoke to my heart, and, and all of you, many of you know and love her, 
And she, um, she came up to me after the service out in the foyer, and she said, you know, I really appreciate you saying that because a lot of us grew up in a time period where to go to church, you had to feel like you had nice clothes to wear. And as a woman, as a young girl and woman, you know, and, and you had to wear a hat and you had to wear white gloves. And if you didn't, then you weren't, you didn't feel appropriate. You didn't feel like you were accepted and you felt kind of embarrassed. And a lot of us, she said, we couldn't afford those nice things like a hat and gloves. And, and it was a bad feeling. She said, I'm so glad that you're talking about this in church. So um, I wonder if you've ever felt ashamed or somehow unworthy or unwanted or uninvited. You know, one of the greatest truths of the gospel is that Jesus invites the people that others reject. Those who feel like they're not good enough. Uh, they are all invited into the family of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus invites people that others would reject. We're going to read about this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. So I want to invite you to turn there with me in your scriptures. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. And of course, um, there are four accounts of the life and work of Jesus. We call them Gospels because they are the good news. The word gospel means good news. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Jesus, as God, came into this world, became a man, and he, he lived a perfect and sinless life. He went about doing good, and then he died on a cross for your sins, and he rose again alive from the dead, and we can have forgiveness. We can be made right with God because of Jesus Christ and what he did. That's the good news of Jesus. And so uh, in the Bible, it's called the gospel of Jesus, and it was written four different times. Now, uh, repetition is for uh, emphasis, and emphasis in the Bible, God emphasizes what is most important. Well, how many times did he mention the gospel story? Four times, right? Four different times. That's how important it is. And one of those writers who wrote the story of the life and work of Jesus was Luke. And we see his account here. And this was 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ walked on this earth. And in first century Palestine, we see this event here happening in a rural town where Jesus had been for a few days teaching and preaching. And in a small place, he drew a lot of attention. Everyone in town had, knew he was there. Everyone in town had already heard him speak and preach. And now we reread in verse 36. And I encourage you to follow along with me as I read. Now, one of the Pharisees, so this was a Pharisee who lived in that town. He invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who lived a sinful life in that town... Now, that phrase, sinful life, that's code for she was a prostitute. Okay, she was the town prostitute. That's what it's saying. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood before him, behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, 
kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This was a sign of, of, of great worship and gratitude and love and reverence that she was doing all of these things. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, in his own mind, he said, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, that she is a prostitute. But see, Jesus uh, knew exactly who she was, and Jesus even knew what Simon was thinking in his heart, because Jesus is God. And so Jesus answered Simon, uh, you know, it's like, you know, he, uh, Simon was shocked that Jesus was speaking directly to what Simon was only thinking. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men, and so he in introduces this parable. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One of them owed 500 denarii. That would have been about a, an average year's salary for the average person. The other person only owed 50, which would have been a pro a more or less a month's salary. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Now, the point of the story wasn't that the woman was this great big sinner and Simon was, you know, had a few, you know, he only had 50 sins and this woman had 500. That's not the point of the story. Uh, you know, obviously one person can have more sin than another, but that's not the point. The point of the story is this woman understood the enormity of her sin and debt. And so she felt a lot, she had been forgiven. She had been uh, uh, freed from her guilt. And so she felt a deep sense of appropriate gratitude and love and loyalty to Jesus for what he had done. Whereas the other person was just as guilty before God, just as separated from God, just as lost, but they did not sense the deepness of their own need. In their own mind, it wasn't that great big of a deal. It was only 50. Now, and he goes on in verse 44. He said, uh, he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So he's making a contrast here of the the attitude of both of them towards Jesus. He didn't give him any water for his feet because in that culture, it was a normal, customary thing to wash the feet of any guest that came into your home. They wore sandals. They walked on dusty roads. And so it was a common courtesy. It was a basic hospitality that if anyone came into your home for a visit, you provided water for them to wash their feet, or you even had a servant wash their feet, or someone would wash their feet. This was like normal courtesy as much as we would say hi or smile at someone or the most basic common hospitality. And Simon had not done that, which was, you know, a huge, it was him being rude. And so this woman, on the other hand, she was washing his feet with her very own tears. Verse 45. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
Now, another common greeting in that land would be to kiss a person on their cheek. And this would have been true for men. This would have been a normal greeting of, of a welcoming heart, a respectful heart. And Simon had not done that. It reflects, again, his attitude about Jesus and his own distance and coolness toward Jesus that he really didn't feel much of it. You know, he invited him to dinner. He thought they would have an interesting conversation, but he did not sense a vital spiritual need for Jesus. Whereas this woman who had been forgiven and saved, she had so much gratitude in her heart, she couldn't even contain herself. This was an act of reverence and respect. There was nothing inappropriate about it as the Son of God? A simple question. When you and I stand before Jesus one day, what will we do? You know, there was a famous song, I can only imagine, right? What we will do. My friend, I will tell you what we will do. We will fall at his feet in worship, just like this woman did. And it it goes on. You did not put oil on my head. Again, another normal custom in that time. But she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. It's not that we have been forgiven little. It's that we see it as being little. We evaluate our condition as not that big of a deal. And Jesus said, your sins, to her, he said, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And, And so it wasn't these acts that she was doing. That wasn't what saved her. She had already been saved. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And it says here, her faith had saved her. These were expressions of her love and gratitude and devotion. So there's three characters in this story. I mean, it's a historical account, but there's three persons that we want to see. A prostitute, a Pharisee, and a prophet. And it says in verse 36 that one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus was invited, and he came. Now, this Pharisee's name was Simon. Now, you can read in the Gospel of Matthew, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, there's another account of uh, a leper named Simon who invited Jesus to a a different party. And there, Mary of Bethany, who's a different person, anointed Jesus for his burial because it was coming down to the end of his ministry and life. This account, this story that we're in today in Luke 7, is a different story that happened early in Jesus' ministry, and it was Simon the Pharisee. The name Simon was very common. You know, Simon, Peter, and others is a common name, but it's a different story. And so we see this, that uh, the Pharisees were outwardly pious. They were very visibly, ostentatiously religious. They made long, eloquent prayers. They they wore elaborate tassels and clothes. They, they had these elaborate washing ceremonies that they would go through. And it was all designed to be impressive spiritually, to show other people how spiritual and how good they were. They would certainly never be around an impure person or anyone that was unclean. They would always keep their distance from them. 
And so we see in the story that his attitude toward Jesus was just that. He was very distant and cool. You know, he invited him to his house for some intellectual conversation, but he wasn't getting carried away with his Jesus thing in any way. And so we see that here. So it was a party. He, he threw a party and he invited Jesus to the party. Jesus was pretty much the invited honor guest, but he wasn't treated that way. Now, their party was a lot different than what you did this past 4th of July, probably. You know, uh, we have a party, you know, this, they weren't grilling any brats, especially any pork brats, right? They wouldn't be listening to the latest Jewish rap songs or Skillet or Toby Mac. They weren't doing any of that. It was very different. What they were doing was kind of a who's who of the Pharisees. It was a display. And, w- and it was a public display. It was a town display. In a, t- in a rural town this small, a Pharisee was a big shot. They were, had a notoriety in town. And they would have these meals in what is known as the outer room of the house. And the, outer, the dining area would have been the outer room, and, and it would have had these uh, large open window spaces without glass, just open to the outdoors, and there would have been a patio right by the dining room and the dining table, and there would have been a small wall around that patio, and it was all open. And so, in these kinds of events, pub, the public would gather. They weren't invited. They didn't participate in the meal. They were just there for the show. They were there to listen in as these uh, erudites, you know, talked about the latest politics or theology or whatever important conversation. People would gather just as a way of staying up and just to be there and see what was going on. You say, well, why would they do that? Well, they didn't have Netflix. They didn't even have television back then, believe it or not. Yeah. And they didn't have, you know, all of those things and and they didn't have Minecraft or Fortnite. So this was like their local entertainment was to come to these gatherings and just to see what was going on. And um, what happened is, is Jesus got invited to this party. And suddenly, someone else came in that was not invited. And we see this person, and they don't just come to the wall like the other crowd that's there. It was probably, you know, a couple of dozen people in a small town, just kind of like, there's Jesus. I just heard him preach yesterday, and here he is, and what's he going to say to the Pharisee, and, you know, and all of these things. And they were just kind of like listening in. But this woman walked right past them, uninvited. She walked right into the dining table. The, the guests would have been laying on the floor. They would eat, uh, resting on the, f- on the ground, and... and um, and she goes right in. And this would have caused murmurations among the public. They knew who she was. And it would have caused outright scandal to the, any other Pharisees or this man or these people. And she came right into the party, interrupting them. It would have been shocking. They had never experienced a moment like this before. And Luke tells us in verse 37 that she had lived a sinful life. And she came there. And, and undoubtedly, this woman, she's there and she's, uh, she brought an alabaster jar. She comes there and perhaps to anoint his head. She can't reach his head because of all the people lying there. She can only reach his feet and she is sobbing. She is crying. She is so overcome with emotion because undoubtedly, she had already given her heart to Jesus. 
perhaps earlier that day or in the days leading up to that, she had heard uh, Jesus preaching and teaching. She had perhaps seen a miracle in that little town. Perhaps what message did did she hear? I don't know for sure. But we know the messages, the types of messages that he gave. Perhaps she heard him preach, Come unto me, all of you who are burdened and tired, and I will give you rest. Perhaps she heard him say that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. She heard some type of invitation that she could be forgiven of all of her sins and that her life could be made new. She had heard something that she had never, ever heard from any of the other religious people that she had ever met. And it so moved her to know that her life could be different, that there was hope even for someone like her. And she had uh, opened her heart to the love of God and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, and it had came into her soul. She had been forgiven. She had been changed. And she was overcome when she came there. She, she, she brought the only thing she knew, the most valuable possession that she had was this alabaster jar with expensive perfume. And she brought it with her to the, most, the person who immediately became the most important person in her life, and, and she came there to anoint him, but when she got there, she was so overcome with love and gratitude that she burst out sobbing. From what she had been to what she was becoming, it so changed her that she burst out sobbing, and her tears began to hit his dusty feet that had not been washed by his host. And they began to... You know, the, the tears and the dust began to mix there. And so she kneeled at his feet and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And even to let down her hair in public was another scandal. But she didn't care. She didn't care what other people thought. All she cared about was that she loved Jesus. Jesus had saved her. And she felt love and devotion and gratitude toward him. And then... She, she broke open this alabaster jar. Now, alabaster is, a, is a, a beautiful stone. It's very similar in look to marble, except that it is much lighter than marble in weight. And they would, they would carve jars and vials out of alabaster, and they would, they would only use them for the most expensive perfume and ointments and oils. And, and to open them, you literally had to break the neck of the jar. So once it was, it was very expensive, this would have been like her whole life savings. This would have been the most valuable thing she owned. And, um, and she brought it there. And, to, and to, um, to open it, you had to break the neck. So it was all going to be spent. It had to be used in a short time. And she, it was going to be used up. So it was going to be spent, and so she broke it open, and she poured it out on his feet in a great act of worship. And really, it really symbolizes two things. Number one, it was the most valuable thing she had, so she was giving it this great act of of worship and devotion to Jesus. She was giving him her very best. But number two, this would have been a tool of her trade, because in that time period, in a rural town, only... Uh, the average woman could not afford perfume and did not wear perfume. 
So for a woman in a rural town like that to be wearing perfume, it was like a calling card for, of her profession. And, and she, was, she was basically saying, Jesus, I give you my life, my all. Jesus, I am, I am done with my old life. And, and those are tears of repentance that she is shedding. And so she just gave it all to Jesus. And that's what she was doing. You know, we think about this, and I, I think of this woman, and how did she ever find herself in these circumstances from which Jesus was delivering her? How did she find herself in these circumstances? We don't really know. Uh, but I can guarantee you this. She did not grow up saying to herself, oh, one day I'm going to be a prostitute. That was not in her plans. But something happened. Somehow the circumstances of life had taken such a hard turn for her that she down a, a dark path that she ended up in this kind of a place. How did that happen? We really have no idea. It could have been that maybe she had a, a very distant uh, father who was not in her life, did not protect her in any way. And, and so that led her uh, down a dangerous path. And there was no one there to stop her. And so she got carried off by the wrong influences and the wrong friends down and down in a downward spiral till she ended here. Perhaps as a young woman, uh, she had been repeatedly taken advantage of at different times. And then she just got confused and she felt a deep sense of shame and guilt for something that wasn't even her fault. It wasn't something that she had done. It was something that was done to her. And because of that, she never really recovered. She never felt secure in her identity. And so she ended up looking for love in all of the wrong places, and it led her down this dreadful way. Maybe, we could speculate, maybe both of her parents died. As in that time period, the, li the average lifespan was quite short. There was no modern medicine. And maybe when she was 15 years old, her parents died, and she was left with a little brother and a little sister. And, and maybe she couldn't make enough money any other way. And, and maybe one day her little baby sister was crying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm so hungry. And so she found a way to make money, a way that she hated and despised every single day. But once she started, she couldn't stop. Maybe she felt trapped. We don't know, but what we do know is that it's not a lifestyle that she wanted. And you can be sure that everywhere she went, men used and abused her, and women glared hatefully at her. She would feel, have felt very ashamed. She never felt like she would be invited anywhere safe or anywhere that mattered. You know, as we think about that, all of us, can have these same kinds of feelings that we're not good enough. We feel guilty for something sometimes that we didn't even do that was done to us, but we feel the guilt and the shame. Or we feel guilty for poor decisions and, and bad actions in our past. And we're wondering how we ended up where we are today. There are hard circumstances in life. Uh, maybe the way you were treated by others over time led you to feel like that you didn't matter, that you had real no worth, that you are unwanted. Or perhaps uh, because of a, a drastic failure in your life, you failed in some way and you've struggled to recover from uh, the feeling of, 
of defeat or the feeling of embarrassment. Or perhaps there were serious problems in your home growing up and, and, and you felt like everyone knew and everyone saw it and all you could see in your life were the, the problems and the, the, the struggles in your home. And so you grew up feeling defeated by life. You, feel, you grew up feeling um, unwanted or uh, unlovable or whatever the case may be. She felt all of those things. And we can all feel that way. But you see, my friend, this is where uh, the grace of God comes into our life. And this is where Jesus invites us to a place where we do belong. He invites us to his very own family. He invites us into a personal relationship with him. And he uh, sees our value and our worth. He gives us our value and our worth. And so in one glorious, simple act, she extravagantly worships, worships Jesus. And she is symbolically repenting of her old self. You know, really, as I think about this, um, this does capture a lot of what we're trying to accomplish here through our life group ministry. Really, uh, we want Lake Hills to always be a welcoming place. That, and I hope that when you come through those doors, I hope what you feel is a sense of a place where you are loved and you are accepted and that you belong here. And you belong to a family, the family of God, the Lake Hills Baptist Church family. And that's what I want you to feel. But, but you know, we're, we're a large family. You know, there's like a lot of people in this room. And so sometimes you feel like you're kind of lost in the shuffle, right? And that's why we want to create life groups where there's smaller groups where you can belong and you can be known and you can be appreciated by a, a close group of friends. You know, I, I don't know how many of you, um, how many in here, are, you're a middle child. Anybody raise your hand. Hold it up if you're a middle child. Any middle children? Okay. I get you. I know where you're coming from. You're in the middle, right? You're not the oldest child that was given all of the privileges and responsibilities, right? You're not the youngest child that uh, gets spoiled and mothered and, you know, everybody, you know, spoils the youngest child, right? You're just in the middle, right? You're just kind of stuck in the middle, right? Kind of overlooked sometimes, you know, you know they, they don't really make a big deal out of you growing up. And, you know, and sometimes we can feel kind of stuck in the middle of our church, our church family, kind of overlooked. And we don't want that to happen. That is not our heart. And that's why life groups capture a lot of what we see in this story. A place where you, you, you feel like you belong. You feel like you are valued and you are loved. And a place where you can even find healing for the tragedies of your past. That's what we see here, and that's what we want to see in our life groups. And I hope that you will prayerfully and seriously consider being a part of a group like that. You have to sign up, though. I, I had to sign up. Can you believe they made the pastor sign up for a life group? Pastor Adam, did you sign up yet? All right. I sent him a text this morning at 10 a.m. Everybody got one. You got to sign up. You just do. Now, we, we go on and we see here, we've seen the Pharisee, we've seen the prostitute, but I want you to see the prophet. And, of course, he is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he gives a parable, and he's trying to help us. 
trying to help us because I think there's a lot of people in this room. In a sense, we kind of fall into this other category where this Pharisee kind of found himself. You're not out there living in these horrible sins. You know, you don't have this like very worldly lifestyle. Maybe you grew up in church like I did. You know, maybe you, you went to a Christian school like I did. Maybe, you know, I don't know. But does that mean that the only way that you can really love Jesus and really worship Jesus is you have to go out and do all these horrible, big sins and lots of them so that you can be forgiven for a lot? No, <laughs> that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is you have to understand that your sin is the big sin. You are in the 500 denarii category. You just don't think you are. Okay? You're, you're kind of smug. You kind of maybe feel pretty good about your righteousness and feel pretty proud of where you're at in your faith. And that keeps you, that keeps you and I from fully appreciating the love and the grace that Jesus has given to us. But when you see yourself in this parable, in this story, when you see yourself as the one who is completely lost, without hope, and without God in the world, Ephesians says, <laughs> you're like a dead fish floating downstream, right? I was on a stream this week, and you see a dead fish floating downstream. I saw one, and I could have sworn there were X's on his eyes. That's how dead he was. He's just floating with the current, right? And that's you and I before Jesus, without hope in the world, the Bible says. And so that when you are saved, and someone does give you new life, and they do throw you a lifeline, and they do set your feet on a rock, and they, they do come into your life as your Savior, and you understand that. See, when you understand it, and you appreciate it for the greatness that it is, then it just completely changes you. And that's the point of the parable. I'll, I'll put a positive spin on it, okay? I won't talk about forgiveness of sins, although that's obviously a big part of this, right? Let's talk about money instead. About <laughs> Let's say uh, someone were to give you $20, okay? I actually gave someone $20 this week. Let's say you were to give, someone were to give you $20, you know, for whatever, you know, your birthday, I don't know. They give you $20, and you're like, wow, that's pretty sweet. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. that I really uh, thank you very much. And you put it in your pocket and you think, well, that will change your day. Right. If you were having a bad day. You just got 20 bucks. That you're, it'll change. You're having a pretty good day now. Yeah. I, someone gave me 20 bucks today. That's awesome. Right. Sure. It'll change your day. Right. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, but it's not a huge. What if someone now we're going to go out a little bit of a limb here. OK, let's say for whatever reason, someone were to give you two thousand that's a lot more than 20 bucks. Someone were to give you $2,000. I, I don't know why. We're, you, know, you might want not want to accept it. You might feel awkward. We're going to skip over all of that. We just know that someone just gave you $2,000. Wow, that is amazing. That, that's so nice. I, thank you so much. I, I don't even know what to say. Except I, I, I'm very appreciative. Thank you. You'd write them a thank you card. You, you, you would probably, for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, you would remember that person. You would have warm thoughts and feelings about that person. And you would, if you ever saw, every time you see them, you're, you're going to think well of them. They blessed you with $2,000. 
that's, that's great. That's, that's significant. That's gonna, you can do a lot with $2,000. But wait a minute. We're not done yet. What if someone were to give you $2 million? $2 million. My friend, if someone were to give you $2 million, that would forever change your life. Your life would never be the same from that day forward, hopefully in a good way, right? <laughs> that's, that's debatable. You know, we don't know, but we would hope that it's in a positive way. Your life would be completely changed, and your relationship with that person would just go to this astronomical level. This is the person that changed your life by the gift that they gave you, and you could just go on from there. Well, the point of this parable is for you and I to realize that if we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's $2 million. You will never be the same again. That person and that gift transformed your life. And, and, and for the good. And you will forever feel the most, uh, the most unbelievable sense of gratitude and appreciation and love and loyalty toward that person who did that for you. I can't even describe it. You can't even, it's hard to even imagine what it would be like. My friend, that's Jesus. If you know Jesus, that's Jesus. And the problem with the Pharisee was that, that he just thought Jesus gave him 20 bucks. And the woman understood. She understood what I'm saying today, that he had given her infinitely more than that. And she could not even contain the emotion and the love and the gratitude. Now, which one are you? Which one am, am I? Let's bow together for prayer. Just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, you know, I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, Jesus extends an invitation to you. It's an invitation to friendship. It's an invitation to a party. A lifelong celebration of forgiveness and love and acceptance. If you've never trusted in Christ, I want you to know that he is the Savior of the world. And today, he's knocking on the door of your heart. He's extending to you an invitation that you would invite him into your life to be your Savior. That you would receive the gift of his love and his forgiveness. You can't be good enough. We don't earn our way into heaven. We don't earn God's forgiveness. As a matter of fact, we have to quit trying to earn it. We have to receive it as a gift of grace. If you've never done that, I invite you right now to open up your heart in faith and say, Dear Jesus, please come into my life. Please give me the free gift of eternal life. I accept you, and I accept your forgiveness. Would you do that right now? And I know there's many others of us in this room right now, and I want to invite you to begin with me to prepare your heart for a time of communion.